Psalm 105, and um, our vision is to see the glory of God known across London and the nations. It's on our banner, so it has to be our vision now because it cost us money, and that's our passion. That's our heart. And because of that, our mission for us as Trinity Church London is to make kingdom-minded disciples who will give themselves to three things, to pursuing the presence of God, to inviting people back to him, and who will work for the good of London. And we're in the middle of this mini-series just walking through what it means to be that kind of kingdom-minded disciple. And today we are looking at what it means to be a disciple who pursues the presence of God, like we've done today. And I just want to read these words to us. Um, I could have picked out hundreds of other verses. This is just a sample one for us. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works and glory in his name. This simply means boast in his name, rejoice in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. Go back to the past days and think all of the things that he has done in your life and in history, his miracles and the judgments he utters. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, Trinity Church, London. I don't know how you hear that. I think I used to hear that like a very stern command. Seek the Lord! Go after the Lord. Why aren't you seeking the Lord? And it would make me feel like slightly inferior, like I wasn't really doing a good job. But the more you go into the scriptures and you walk with the Lord and you walk with the Holy Spirit, you realize that this is an invitation into life. This isn't just a command that's laid on you. God is not like, this isn't a PR campaign on God's behalf to be like, we need to fill the churches up again, so seek the Lord and go to church. This is an invitation into life. This is, a, this is us finding joy in God. And what I want to pray today is that simply we are stirred again afresh in our hearts to, to go after him. Because our bodies can get tired, can't they? And sometimes our souls can get tired. Sometimes we think we know it. We think we know God. Sometimes Christians can get to a point where they read the Bible, they've been in church for a while, kind of got a taste of some leaders, and think, I kind of know how Christianity works now. And they level off. They think, yeah, I've heard it before, I know what you're going to say, blah, blah, blah not knowing that there is an experience of God that can go ever deeper in him. So what I want to pray today is just that we we go deep with him, not just for an exciting meeting, but so that when you are sat at your desk tomorrow and sending emails, there might be the presence of God there with you at work, that you might live with such a sense of his weight and his beauty and his power, that you would know you are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, what you are made for. Amen. So can I pray for that? The psalmist says this, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
And I pray that this church plant would be one where souls pan after you, God. That we would want you above all else. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Lord, would that be our heart's desire? When will I come before you again, God? When can I set my alarm to be with you again? When can I be with your people again? When can I get into your presence, O oh God? Stir it up, I pray, in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Let me ask you this question. If someone were to watch your life for a month, everything, like they just got access to all of your life, and uh, Big Brother style, like really fun, I know. And they got to know not just like what you did and where you went and what you said, but there were like these caption kind of, you know, electronic bubble marks that would come over your head every time you thought something or desired something or got grumpy about something or were cross with someone about something. Just imagine it for a moment. And they had access to a month of your life. And then you ask them at the end of the, the, that month, what do you think my life is built around? Someone say, what, what, what is your life built around? And they just had access. Like what are the things that you are pursuing and going after, really? I mean, if you, you be a Christian and you can pursue all sorts of other stuff, the accumulation of experiences being in certain places, having selfies taken in certain places, being with certain people, going after experiences, or finances, just going, whatever it is, I'm going to create a career pathway that provides me finances, or some kind of lifestyle, or relationships. If someone got access to your heart, what would be the thing that your life is built around that you are actually pursuing? Because the truth is, every single one of us is pursuing something. Every single Londoner is pursuing something in, in life. It might be Jesus, it might be finance. It, you, you. When I was a kid and a teenager, I, I was very fixed on pursuing quite a few things. It was generally one after another. I can, I'm a kind of all-in kind of person, so if I do something, I kind of go over the top with it. So when I was an early teen, it was skating. And I remember, I'm going to pursue, and it wasn't just, I was going to make it, I didn't even know what that meant, but I remember sitting on the tube, planning and saving to buy K2 fatty skates. They might not mean anything to you. Oh, it does. Oh, hallelujah. No, yeah. I was like, I'm going to buy these skates, and with these skates, I'm going to make it as an inline skater. And then I broke my leg. And as a teenager, you know, you are fickle as a teenager. So like the one week, you're like, this is my whole life. And then like a month later, you're like, what happened to that thing? You're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is the thing now. This is really what it was. And it was DJing. I spent like a scary amount of money wanting to give myself to be a DJ. And I bought these Technics 1210s. I saved all my money, spent everything I had. I, I was going to be a DJ. I was going to be a well-famous DJ. I spent everything I had on drum and bass and garage. Yeah. And I was going to be it. Yes. <laughs> 
I was going to be headlining at Fabric every single weekend. I was going to be resident. And I, I gave, and I remember talking to a friend saying, it's all right now, because I'd had a few other things like that was going to be it. And I remember literally walking through Ealing Broadway Station and saying, no, no, the music is the thing. So the good thing with music is there's always new music to come out, so you'll never get bored. <laughs> I was like, and sure enough, within like a year, I realized that I wasn't actually that good at being a DJ. And I couldn't really mix very well. I loved the music, but I wasn't that good at being a DJ. And then I saw this photo of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I was like, he looks pretty good. And so I became like a wannabe bodybuilder. Like, without the Speedos, you'll be pleased to know. But I was like, this is what I'm going to give my life to. So I got to about 18, and like my joints kind of fell apart basically and I couldn't go to the gym my knees were wrecked and my elbows were wrecked and I was left with this place like what what do I give my life to where where do I put my heart and my soul and my body in such a way that I'm actually going to receive life because everything up to that point and throughout my teenage years I felt like I'd given myself to and all I'd got back was resistance and emptiness and a sense of hollowness in what it was and it didn't do what I actually thought it might do does that make sense a philosopher who's actually died now an American philosopher a professor David Wallace Foster he says this, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping, and he wasn't a Christian. Everybody worships, he says. The only choice we get is what to worship. He says, if you worship, or if you go after, if you pursue, if you make the thing that this is your thing, if you worship money and things, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power and you will feel weak and afraid. You will, you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, he says, being as smart as you can, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And he goes on. And the realization that I had at 18, when a pastor told me to just read the Bible for myself, and I began to meet this man, Jesus Christ, and I just watched his life, and... I encountered this person, Jesus, is I met the one that my soul was made for. Some of you have had that experience. Jesus said that it, those who are hungering and thirsting are for righteousness. Those are the ones that will be blessed because they shall be satisfied. Are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Because that's where satisfaction comes, the scriptures say. In the presence of God is life. And not just like, it's funny now, like in Instagram and YouTube and stuff, you know, I saw a thing the other day and there were these two guys like on Miami Beach, I think, and they were driving this incredible brand new Mercedes. And, you know, I wouldn't mind having the car myself. I'm not saying I don't like the car or the beach, but they were there like in this incredible car on Miami Beach and they drove off shouting, now we're really living. And that's what it is, isn't it? You say like, I want to go after life. 
What that means is, I want to find a beautiful beach, I want to find a beautiful partner, I want to drive a beautiful car, and I need to make sure it's on my beautiful Instagram profile, because then I'm really living. And what the scriptures tell us, and pulsate with, is the fact that this, to know God and to be in his presence, is where abundant life is found. Do you want strength? Psalm 105, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Do you want beauty? Psalm 29 says, worship the Lord in the splendor, in the beauty of his holiness. Pursue his strength and his beauty, Psalm 96. Tell us, do you want joy? I think everyone in London, you've said, hey, do you want joy? No one's opting for like depression and crushing anxiety. Like, I'll opt for joy. This is what the testimony of the biblical authors say. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I used to think God was against pleasure. I don't want to become a Christian and go to church because I want joy and pleasure. And yet the actual invitation is, no, come to God and there you will find infinite source of pleasure. Do you want love? Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, in your presence, beholding your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. Do you want safety? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Do you want your soul to be refreshed today? I hope so. I hope every time you come to church, you leave feeling like refreshed. Acts 3, repent therefore and turn back to God so that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you want internal clarity as to who you are before the Lord? Psalm 90 verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. That might sound frightening to you. It's actually a really good place to be. Because the Lord knows it already. So to come into his presence and to have spiritual clarity as to who you are and who the Lord is, is actually the first signs of health and vitality. And this is what we're made for, to be in his presence. Everything we hope for in life... We have to look one step beyond the physical to find God himself who provides everything. We're told sociologists and psychologists will tell us that the early days of our life, literally, are some of the most key and fundamental to who we become later. So when mothers give birth, one of the first things that the nurses will do, isn't it, to give the child back to the mother for that skin-on-skin time because how we are born and made in those early years shape who we are and that connection with our parents is vital absolutely key and if that's not there it can lead to some malfunctions of the heart sometimes sometimes a lifetime never heals the child's attachment to a parent is is key And for us as humans, in the origins of our life and our story, the early days of who we are tell us about why we feel like we feel sometimes in life. 
and why sometimes there feels like we walk around with this anxiety and depression and meaninglessness. I was talking to the cab driver on the way in today and he was just talking about like, I'll tell him what I was going to preach on and uh, he was like, because uh, I was just telling my story about how I asked like, is there more to life than this? He's like, yeah, I ask that question all the time. Is there more to life than this? We ask that, don't we? And to go back to our origins in the early days as to who we are actually tell us why we might find and feel like this kind of deep anxiety that we're not quite living life as we, we feel like there's something out there that we've lost. And what the biblical story tells us in the first few years and days and months of our lives as humanity is that we weren't just created out of some kind of collateral damage from a divine war of the gods. It wasn't like we were an accident that spun off out of material big bang. It was actually we were made by a personal being, God himself. The Christian story is unique in that it says God is a personal being and he makes us as personal beings. And our first moments, we are birthed into his presence, where we belong, where we are made for. And we're told that we walked in the cool of the afternoon with our Lord, growing our attachment with God, whom is the source of all life. He is everything to us. And yet we have done the most crazy thing and have chosen to walk as orphans through this world saying, I could be attached to the maker of who I am, who from him and through him and to him are all things. This is who am I am made for. And yet I want to walk out of the family home and walk as an orphan through life. And we wonder why we feel anxious sometimes. We wonder why we feel like life doesn't have any meaning. We wonder why we feel like there is something that we had that we've lost. And yet we have walked away from God whom we've been made for and the scriptures and all of the encouragements and Psalm 105 when it says seek the Lord is an invitation for us to come back home it's an invitation for us to come out from the cold into the family home into the warmth of our father in heaven whom we are made for that we need not walk as orphans through this world but we can come back to our father in heaven he is waiting for us it's actually better than that because we're told throughout the old testament that god does not let us walk off into the distance you know it's like okay eden's closed off to you now you've broken everything you need to watch. It's not like he just watches us and it's like, right, we can get on with the rest of our lives now, Jesus. Well, we're told in the Old Testament that God pursues us. He chases us. He goes after us. He does not let us rest like a good parent. He chases us down and he finds us and he seeks us and he grabs us and he takes us back into his presence, into the safety of his home. And we're told this throughout the scriptures. There are these moments where God continually comes down and pursues us. He comes down to Abraham in this cloud of his presence and he calls Abraham, someone who did not know, back to himself. He comes to Moses in this burning bush, pursuing his people, saying, I want you to come back into my presence. He comes down to this fiery cloud so that the whole people of Israel, all of God's people know God is still with us. He has not forgotten us. 
He said, you make a tabernacle for me because I want to declare that my presence is going to be with you. I am not going to forget you. And this temple is constructed and God says, he promises, I will be with you forever and ever. And he descends in this fiery cloud in his presence into the temple as this declaration to his people, I am with you. I'm going to pursue you. My presence, my healing presence of joy and love and safety, protection, it's going to be with you. And yet we do this stupid thing again and again of walking out of the door. Yeah, they only seen Toy Story 4. It's not in the notes, so it's going wrong. You know Forky? It's hilarious. My, fi- my kids find him hilarious because if you don't know the story, there's this little thing called Forky and like he's kind of thinks he's trash and so he, the toys keep bringing him into like, come, we're going to, it's all right, you can be a toy with us. And he keeps thinking, no, I'm trash. And so he keeps jumping back into the bin because he thinks this is who I am. And there's these hilarious scenes where he like jumping back in and Woody keeps bringing him out. He jumps back in, he brings him out, he's in because he thinks, no, I don't belong here. And so often our hearts tell ourselves, no, I don't belong in the presence of such a holy being. And yet, so we keep walking away from him with our insecurities, thinking that we're going to find it elsewhere. Going around like goldfish, kind of just like, if I, maybe if I do it one more time, it will give it, oh no, it doesn't. Go one more time, if you, no, it doesn't. One, and yet God goes after us. And yet his presence wasn't always meant just to be a fiery cloud. We walk away and we're told at the end of the Old Testament that the temple was destroyed. And you've got to understand for the Jewish people at the time, that wasn't just like, oh, that's a shame. We'll have to call in another construction company, get some more plans built. This was a symbolic act that meant that the presence of God, like where is God? Does he even exist? And the good news is that God chases us down again, not in now fiery cloud, but in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not just going to send my presence in the cloud. I'm going to come in Jesus now. I'm going to come in myself. I'm going to come down myself. I'm going to look at you, eyeball you face to face. I am going to be God's presence now for you so that you can talk with me. You can eat with me. You can live with me. And I'm going to redeem all of your brokenness so that you can dwell in the courts of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life, the the life that we have not lived. And there's this moment, just picture this with me if you can. We see the picture of Jesus hanging on a cross and there's Jesus like a mile away from the temple courts and he comes and he says, I'm going to take on all of your sin and all of your wrongdoing on my life because you are walking away from the family home. And he knows that just down the road that his father is residing in the temple. And the Father is there residing in the temple and Christ is there a mile down the road hanging on a cross. And Jesus at any moment with perfect righteousness could get himself off the cross. Say, I'm walking away and I'm going to go and be with my Father a mile down the road. And there are people gathering around the temple who are bringing their sacrifices, saying, we want to know the presence of God. We want to come into his presence. We want to know the Lord. How can we make ourselves right with God? And the father in this moment has a choice. 
there's us coming around the Lord with all of our works and our deeds and our sacrifice saying Lord will you accept us and the Lord is the only way that I can accept you into my presence is by seeing my son sacrificed on your behalf because you have not lived the holy life and what does Jesus Christ do that he knowingly voluntarily willingly says I am going to take all of your sin on myself all of your wrongdoing all of your depression and anxiety and brokenness all of your walking away all of the spirit of orphanhood on you I'm going to take it on myself and he is crucified for us and what happens in that moment when Jesus dies there is this incredible moment where a mile down the road in the holy of holies where the presence of God dwells the curtain that separates us from the presence of God as Jesus Christ dies the curtain of the temple of the holy of holies is torn from top to bottom because the father says I have accepted the sacrifice of my son Jesus Christ and so now I can release my presence so it will not be contained in one small patch in Jerusalem in the Middle East but now every corner of the earth can be filled with my presence and every soul in every nation in every generation can know me not through a priest not through a sacrifice but through Jesus Christ this is the good news that Jesus came for that we can now know him when we're sitting on the Jubilee line going to work stuffed in there like sardines we can live as though we are in the presence of the Holy of Holies because the curtain of the temple has been torn in two yeah. That's the truth. yes it is <laughs> for me this is good news and I pray that it would feel like good news to you. And Jesus, you, you, can't, you can't keep a self-generating life force down. Though God is the only being who generates life from within himself. And when you have infinite power within yourself, eternally self-generating, death cannot hold you down. We get our source from God. We get our source from food. We have electricity. We, we, have, we need finance from other places. We, we, we are always relying on other things to sustain us. And yet God is the only eternally self-generating one. So when you crucify God, what happens? He gets back up again. And he breaks the back of death and he gets back up again and he goes to the right hand of his father so that he can pour his Holy Spirit out upon us liberally. So that in a place like this, in the neighborhood center in Waterloo, his presence can be felt. When we're commuting, his presence can be known. And it's anywhere, at any time. We're told, James 4, 8, you draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. Any moment during your work, you just lift up your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, can I, I want to be in your presence. He says, I'm coming. You have those moments, and you're like just the most boring, mundane moments suddenly take on like this sense of eternal meaning. Like, I, I, what, this is going to echo into eternity. What, God is with me here. This isn't just for a, this is, this is God's presence right now. And so we pursue him with everything we have. And what we're told is that God resides everywhere. His presence is everywhere. And yet he loves to come in special ways 
around special means. So the gathering of believers, you know, he loves these moments. Jesus, in fact, promises, he says, where two or three gather, there I will be with them. Too often that's used by people like me when the prayer meeting is really badly attended. <laughs> and there's literally just three of us, and you're like, oh, I'm feeling really insecure now. But it's okay, guys, because Jesus said if it's only two or three, like it's kind of our get-out clause if the meeting's really lowly, low attended. But what Jesus is saying is when believers get in the same room bodily, look each other in the eye, hear each other's voices, hear each other communicate, have fellowship and coffee and lunch together, when people are in the same room together, God loves to bring his presence down. Didn't we feel that this morning? It's why gathering together is so important. Getting on a train, being in the same room. You cannot do it just through YouTube because Jesus said where two or three are gathered. And I know the introvert's like, no, I, I gather online via YouTube. Like, in the body, in the, like, you get the point. That's where I love to be. So to build your life around the presence of God is say, I want to be in the room when the believers are getting together. If they're pursuing the presence of God, I want to be in the room with them. Jesus promises that over the, the Lord's Supper, he says, this is my body. He especially promises when you take this bread and you drink this wine, I, by my spirit, I will be there. I will strengthen you. I will encourage you. You open the Bible. You open his word. You meet God, his presence, his reviving power. I remember Nicky Gumbel, he leads a church up in South Kensington here. He was on the One Show, like BBC One Show, and they were asking about the Alpha course. And they said, so how did you become a Christian? I was like, oh, it's going to be good. Like, Nicky Gumbel, big theological answer. What's going to happen? It'd be really interesting to know on, like, national TV, BBC One, 7 o'clock, prime time. What is Nicky Gumbel going to say at this point? Do you know what he said? He said it was amazing. I opened the Bible, because we were reading the Bible once, and I met Jesus. That's literally what he said. I was like, that's not very sophisticated. Like, I was hoping for something a bit better, you know? Like, but what's the promise? When you read these words, you can encounter the living God. Through singing, we're told in Psalm 105, sing to him. That's how we come into his presence. We sing to him, sing to him, come into his presence with singing, Psalm 100 says. There are all these ways that we build our life around the pursuit of his presence. So what we want to be as a church is a church that identifies the places where, love, where God loves to dwell, say, that's what I want to build my life around. He loves being with us when we're taking steps of faith. You have those moments when you're like, Lord, I feel like I just want, I want to share you and your love with this person. You have those moments when you're like, you feel really nervous, you feel like God's with me. But what happens, though, off the back of that? It doesn't really matter whether it's gone really well or not. You know, when they've fallen down their face, like, yeah, I repent, I believe. Or they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I've got to go to my, you know. But what happens? You sense God's presence, don't you? Because you've taken this incredible step of faith and got, I'm going to be with you. That was his promise. You go and make disciples, I'm going to be with you. You can't particularly expect that promise if you're never going out and taking risks to make other disciples. So why do I feel so stale at the moment? God's not really with me. Maybe you need to take some steps of faith, take some risks, feel vulnerable. God says, I'm going to be with you there. So we find the places that God loves to dwell, and then we build our life around that. 
Um, there's a book I want to read. The Pursuit of God. Anyone ever read this book? A.W. Tozer. I mean, if you want a run-of-the-mill life, don't read this book. If you want an adventure in God, read this book. It's quite old, like he's American, but we forgive him. It was written in the 1950s, I would imagine, but it is water to your soul. He says this in his first chapter, following hard after God. He says, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. So we found him. I'm a Christian now. Tick. Okay, I'll cruise until I get to heaven. But he says, the true mark of someone who has actually found God is that their spiritual taste buds have been so awakened that they cannot get enough of him. Because we are finite beings and God is an infinite being. And how can you ever exhaust an infinite source of glory and beauty and power? You cannot. And so he says this, he says, come near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. I pray that we would be a church where they come, people come close to us, people on the desk, they would feel the heat of our desire. They're like, I don't believe what they believe, but they really are after this being who seems to give them joy and satisfaction. I used to think that following Christ would be like a, it was like basically be moral I read the Bible be good it's such a baseline way of viewing the Christian faith to be good is not the goal hear me right I'm not saying Woo, let's go be bad on Sunday night <laughs> what I am saying is the goal is to know God that's the goal we're not into moral, moral makeovers here we're into the spiritual pursuit of the divine. To go after him. To know that wherever we find ourselves now, there are more depths to be found. Who's read Narnia? Anyone read Narnia? Yeah, I love Narnia. I can't wait. I'm waiting for the moment that I can read these books to my children. But there's this, a moment, this amazing moment where after all of their journeys and their battles and all of this stuff, they come to the moment where finally they reach Narnia itself. They reach their home country. And it's this huge metaphor and symbol as they enter into Aslan's country of this never-ending exploration of glory. And this is what the unicorn says. You are, obviously <laughs> unicorns are in right now so I feel like I'm really culturally relevant so um, you weren't expecting to be uh, you know I'll be quoting unicorns today um, you have to read the book I can't explain he says I have come home at last this is my real country I belong here this is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. That's what it's like to come home to God. You realize, 
I didn't know it until now, but this is my home country. This is my land. This is where I belong. This is the country in which my soul was made for. It's the presence of God. And what happens is they don't then go off and get a cup of tea. There's this, the final chapter is this continual cry to one another, farther up and farther in. And there's this incredible thing where all of their bodies are now made new and glorified, and so they can run without getting tired. Like, I can run probably about 200 yards, and I'm like, no, I'm done. I don't like running. Imagine being able to run and never get tired. In fact, I think you asked the question. If one could run without getting tired, I don't think one would often want to do anything else. Imagine running 500 miles and having more energy at the end of it and an ability to speed up. That's... And the call as they go deeper and deeper into the things of God is farther up and farther in. Farther up, church, and farther in. There's more of God to be known. There's more running to be done. There's more pursuit to be done. You think you've reached a mountaintop, yet you have a glorified soul. There is further glories in God to be found. And I think the charge for us is farther in, church, further into God. Don't wait where you are thinking you've reached all the pinnacles of Christian glory and there is more to be found in him. So we've got some time and I, I, I want us just to respond and hear these words from Jesus further up and further in. Just sit for a moment quietly. You know where you're at with your soul. Maybe if the band could come back up. Just hear these words from Jesus. Further up and further in. There are more adventures to be had. And what I'd like to do is just, we're going to sing in just a moment as a way of drawing near to God. But I just want to encourage you that if you feel like you've probably reached a mountaintop, and if you look at your life now, you would probably say, yeah, I've probably camped out here. Got my thermos out, having a cup of tea, and I've probably become quite content with what I know of God. And you think, yeah, I've lost some spiritual energy. I've lost some zeal. I've lost a sense that there are more glories to be had in God. If you know that you are actually building your life around the pursuit of other things, because actually it feels better in the moment. I'm going to just invite you to do something bold as people are sat, is just to stand. And it's just a little way of repenting. There's no shame in it. We all go through moments of it. I do. 
But if you say, Lord, I, I, I want to I go to the next mountain height. I want to run further up and further in. I want to know what it is to run 50 miles and not be tired and yet have more energy to go even faster. I want to know that. I want to invite you now to stand just as a way of drawing near to the Lord. If you say, Lord, I'm hungry to know you. Just take the promise of James 4.8 that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You say, Lord, I'm going to stand right now as an act of drawing near to you. Trusting that you are going to come and meet with me, oh God. Jude says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I believe he's at work right now presenting us blameless before the presence of his glory. Our home. to him we're going to linger so don't be afraid just to take a breath and just linger I encourage you to bring your heart whatever you're feeling bring your sin he knows it already it really honestly does not matter to articulate it before God Just allow him and his presence to come right now.